Well, I've often thought it's a strange thing to remember. Uh, the first day of fifth grade, uh, coming into the classroom after sitting down at my desk and, and hearing my teacher, uh, Miss Hutchison, saying that she was going to read all seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia to us uh, by the end of the year. So I often thought it was a, a strange thing to remember, a strange thing until I realized uh, the rather profound effect uh, that those books have had on me and the rather profound effect that those books have had on my faith. And if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia before, uh, then maybe you know what I'm talking about. See, for the uninitiated, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia tell the story of this faraway land uh, where animals can talk, time stands still, and the virtues of uh, a far away, distant place are still at play. And as, uh, as Ms. Hutchison would read, just as the Pevensey children, Peter and Susan, Edmund and Lucy, would have access to this world, I did too. I mean, it's almost like I was standing there right next to them as, as they stepped into that wardrobe, which wasn't really a wardrobe at all, but rather the wintry woods of Narnia, where, uh, where the white witch was in control, where it was always winter, but never Christmas, and where the gentle beasts of Narnia found themselves in a state of, of great despair. And yet no sooner had we stepped into this world, but we discover that there's hope. They say that Aslan is on the move. That's what a, a beaver, uh, the first creature that these children meet, says to them. They say that Aslan is on the move. And that's when Miss Hutchison in fifth grade tells me a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream, it feels as if it has this enormous meaning, either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else uh, a lovely one that turns that dream into something so beautiful that you want to remember it the rest of your life. It was like that right now. At the name of Aslan, each of the children felt something jump inside of them. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had floated by her. And Lucy Lucy got the feeling that you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of a holiday or the beginning of summer. See, just a moment ago, I said that, uh, that this book, these books have had a rather profound effect on me and a rather profound effect on my faith. And it wasn't until years later uh, that I connected the dots that the good news of Jesus, the name of Jesus, has had the exact same effect on me, and maybe, probably, 
it's had that effect on you. If you're like me, it, uh, it makes you curious, just like it makes the Pevensey children curious. Tell us about Aslan. And, and that's when the beaver says that Aslan is the king, the lord of the woods, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, and now he's on the move. And all of Narnia is trembling with the implications. See, if you've ever uh, read the Chronicles of Narnia, you might just know uh, that C.S. Lewis, their author, was uh, a Christian. And not just uh, a Christian, but a very devout Christian. And then when he writes the Chronicles of Narnia, and when he describes Aslan, he has Jesus in mind. And that's why uh, when I hear this passage from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, I can't help but think about another passage, uh, the passage that many of us just heard, because just like Aslan, Jesus is on the move. And he's heading to Jerusalem, and nothing, not even death threats from someone like Herod, will stop him. And as a group of friendly Pharisees, I mean, can you, can you imagine that? Friendly Pharisees come to warn Jesus about him, You get the sense that all of Israel is trembling with the implications. You see, uh, before we uh, get there, a word or two about how we got here in this reading is uh, really helpful and and really important, and that's because Jesus hasn't always been on the move. At least Jesus hasn't always been on the move towards Jerusalem. Actually, if you're paying attention during the first 10 chapters of Luke's gospel, you notice that that Jesus isn't on the move towards Jerusalem. He's on the move away from Jerusalem, and it it starts in his baptism, which takes place right outside of Jerusalem along the, the Jordan River, but that launches him into the wilderness and then into his ministry 75 miles north in and around the Sea of Galilee where he helps and heals, preaches, and, and teaches. And everywhere he goes, it's almost like he's trying to stay one step ahead of, of the religious leaders, trying not to get caught. I mean, I sort of picture a guy who's always looking over his shoulders, always on the run, which is maybe when he helps or heals someone, he tells them not to tell others what they've seen. When Jesus is teaching, maybe this is why it's almost like he's intentionally vague and he he slips away in the cities of Cana and Nazareth and Capernaum and and then he makes his way to Gentile territory, the regions of Tyre and Sidon until we finally find him as far away from Jerusalem as he's going to get. He's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem in the city of Caesarea Philippi when he finally stops to catch his breath. He turns around and he looks at his disciples and and maybe you know this passage. He says, who do people say that I am? And his disciples, they they tell him what other people are saying, but Jesus doesn't just want to know what other people are saying. He says, who do you say that I am? And that's when when Peter looks at Jesus and says, you, you are God's Messiah, and it's almost like uh, Jesus has been waiting for this, waiting for his disciples to recognize who he really is. Not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not just a wonder worker, but God's Messiah. And now that they do, Jesus stops running. He turns around and he sets out for Jerusalem. 
As many of you know, uh, we find ourselves during the season of Lent, and uh, during the season of Lent, we are invited to follow Jesus on the way that leads to the cross. And the fascinating thing, at least for me, and at least in Luke's gospel, is that the way that leads to the cross, uh, the way that leads to Jerusalem, uh, as you might have guessed, is actually the second half of a journey, Uh, a journey uh, that starts with Jesus heading away from Jerusalem. As I said, it starts at his baptism and into his ministry until we finally find him on the transfiguration, all lit up like a Christmas tree, where light bursts out of his body and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, the one I've chosen. Listen to him. And we call this part of the journey Epiphany in the church calendar, and it happens so that just like the Pevensey children, just like Peter and Susan, Edmund and Lucy, his name would have an effect on us. So that just like like the disciples, we might know who he really is, not just a prophet, not just a wonder worker, not just a teacher, but God's Messiah. And this launches us into the, the second half of the journey. It launches us into the season of Lent where we follow Jesus on the way that leads to the cross. But you see, the season of Lent, it it comes with this twist. Because the way of the cross is a costly way. You see, that's what uh, Peter and the other disciples discover in Caesarea Philippi. I mean, they are standing there as far away from Jerusalem as Jesus is going to get. And Jesus says to them, you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to get me. The elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, they're going to get me, and they're going to kill me, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. You see, the way the cross is, is a costly way, and it's not just a costly way for Jesus. Whoever wants to follow me, Jesus says, must deny themselves. Whoever wants to follow me must take up their cross. Whoever wants to follow me, it's almost like Jesus is implying, might just find themselves on that cross next to me. And so it's almost like there are these uh, these two realities, uh, the season of Epiphany and the season of Lent. And as we make our way through the seasons of life, we so often find ourselves caught between these two seasons. I mean, on the one hand, there's the season of Epiphany. There's something about what we have seen in Jesus, something about the effect that his name has on us, something about the dream that's more than a dream that's so beautiful, you want to follow it the rest of your life. And then on the other hand, there's the season of Lent, the way of the cross, and it's, it's a costly way. And what we remember is that there are all sorts of things that would deter and distract us from following Jesus, and you know what those things are for you. I mean, sometimes they're big things. The loss of a job, the death of a loved one, a diagnosis. You see, more often than not, uh, they're not so big at all. Uh, A million little things that pile up and push Jesus out. And it's in moments like these that we catch up with Jesus in today's reading. You see, we're about halfway, at least in chapters, from Jesus' time in Caesarea Philippi to the time that he arrives in Jerusalem when this group of Pharisees catch up with him. And, 
And they want to warn him that Herod is out to get him. You see, the good news in this passage is very simple. Jesus is on a mission, a mission to Jerusalem, and nothing, I mean, nothing is going to stop him, and that mission is for you. And he knows that it is going to cost him his life, but when you realize that he already knows that, you also realize that Herod has absolutely no power over him. I mean, Herod isn't even the guy who's going to kill him. And so, and so Jesus tells these Pharisees, go tell that fox. And I love how saucy he is. Go tell that fox that today I cast out demons, tomorrow I heal the sick, and on the third day I'll be on my way because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And, and you, know, you can summarize Jesus' words this way. He is on the move. He's on the move for you. He's on the move heading to Jerusalem for all the times that you don't follow him. And he's on the move heading to Jerusalem for all the times you are able to follow him. You see, the question for us this day and every day isn't, is Jesus going to Jerusalem? I mean, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. There's no question about that. The question for us is, are we going to follow him? You know, it's a, it's a costly journey, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. And yet, unlike his disciples, we don't just follow Jesus because of epiphany. We follow Jesus because of a cross and an empty tomb. We follow Jesus because Lent isn't the end of the story. It's just the middle. And we follow Jesus because the journey that begins with Epiphany and continues through Lent always leads to Easter. See, it turns out uh, that, that this is the same story that I discovered back in fifth grade in Narnia. Aslan is on the move, and just like Jesus, his journey leads to his death. I mean, it isn't easy to set things right because there's always a price to pay. In the case of Aslan, uh, he offers his life in exchange for uh, one of the Pevensey children, Edmund, who betrayed uh, his brothers and sisters to the White Witch. See, the White Witch, uh, she is so glad to make this exchange. She and her cronies, they... They tie up Aslan, they shave his mane, and then they toss him onto this ancient stone table, at which point she stabs him in the heart. And that night, uh, the two girls, Susan and Lucy, they weep over his dead body and wonder how. How could this happen? But then early in the morning, just as the sun is beginning to rise over the horizon, there's this loud crack, and the stone table breaks in two. And that's when these two girls turn around, and they see Aslan standing before him. And, and perhaps this is my favorite part in the book. The two girls ask Aslan, what does this mean? And that's when he tells them uh, that the white witch knew the deep magic but there's even deeper magic still. Well, he doesn't say it, uh, what we know is the same is true for us as Christians, that the deep magic of Lent is followed by the even deeper magic of Easter. 
See, that's what enables us to follow Jesus because even though the way of the cross is a costly way, Jesus has broken the spell of death. We have no longer any reason to be afraid. And so as we listen to this reading today, as we hear Jesus speak to these Pharisees, it's the thing that enables us to say with him, go tell that fox and anyone else who would disturb or distract us from that mission that Jesus is on the move. He's going to Jerusalem. We're going with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.